I've been interested in wildlife and nature my whole life. I've travelled all over Ireland to see rare birds. I've swam with seals and dolphins. And I've even gone into the mountains to find wild boar. Today, though, I want to introduce you to a different type of animal. And a different type of wildlife spotter. (laughs) Welcome to the strange world of Irish monster hunting. Longish neck that curved, came round, had a, an open shark-shaped mouth uh, with a pale, uh, a pale interior, uh, had two humps and it had a forked tail. And uh, there was a bit of an explosion and some kind of strange creature came flying out of the lake and event- and immediately splashed back into it. And what you call the paranormal is, the paranormal may, may be actually perfectly normal, we just don't understand it. We just simply haven't paid attention to some of these phenomena before. In 2010, I encountered a man called Sean Corcoran, a Waterford-based artist who told me a fantastic story about an encounter he had on Omi Island in Connemara with what was, for want of a better word, a monster. So believable was he, the story stayed with me, and I always intended to learn more about it. And to our absolute shock and horror, a creature of great scale uh, turned its head and snarled viciously at us. The shove I needed to follow my desire to go in search of Sean's monster came four years later, and it was my daughter Marnie who gave me that shove. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. So Marnie, what is it you don't like about these documentaries? Because we watch them all the time and you're always giving out about them. I know, I just hate the way they never actually get any proper, like, stone-hard evidence and they always just don't actually find anything. And at the end, it's always the same. They're always just like, what is out there? No one knows. So it's the fact that they kind of end on a wishy-washy, uncertain, it could be out there, but maybe it's not sort of a thing. Yeah, why make a documentary if you don't have any actual evidence to, like, finish it? What's your challenge to me, then? What are you looking for me to do? I don't know. Why don't you make a documentary where you actually find something and you actually have a, like, conclusive answer and say if you think it is out there or not? Let's get one thing clear. I sit in the same camp as the vast majority of people when it comes to monsters and unknown animals. I'm sceptical. I'd love to believe these things exist, but I reckon they probably are misidentifications and exaggerations in most cases. But I wasn't going to let my little girl down. Daddy was going monster hunting. Of course, I soon learned that it isn't actually called monster hunting. Its true exponents refer to this rather murky discipline as cryptozoology. My name is Ronan Conklin. I'm a sort of wandering representative of the Centre for Fortean Zoology, and I dabble in various things. I went to County Down to meet a man who had dedicated his life to the search for fantastic beasts. Cryptozoology, for those who don't know, is the study of Animals that have been supposed to exist, but have never been established as existing by science. Their existence is not 
accepted by mainstream science because evidence about them is either legendary or anecdotal and consequently finding out if they really exist or whether they are merely the subject of rumor or of bad observation is quite a challenge. You can start with things like the dragon and go to think more modern things like the Loch Ness Monster, the Abominable Snowman, and creatures of that kind. Cryptozoology sneaked in through the back door of accepted scientific wisdom. The bastard love child of mythology and biology, it captured the imagination of academics who craved the rapidly disappearing period when patches of the map were largely empty and bore warnings that read, Here be dragons. Professor Thomas Bulger is a zoologist based at University College Dublin. Currently we've described about one and a half million species of all living organisms. But the actual estimates of the total number of species range from about 3 million through about 30 million. So there are large numbers of species out there to be described. Now these are, to a large extent, things like microbes, um, lots of insects and things that are relatively specialist areas. Uh, But there are constantly new species of birds, new species of mammals being found. Not with any, you know, you don't find 10 new species of mammal every year. And probably when they, they are found, they occur in the media. But no, there is some report in the media about this. Okay. And, I mean, is, is that something that every zoologist or biologist would hope in their lifetime to achieve? Is that like the holy grail in zoology? To find a new species? Mm. I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it's, it's nice if you find a new species, and we have found new species of mite here in Ireland. Really? And described them, so it's, it's not unusual. What was the last one that was found? Uh, about three years ago, we found actually three new species which occur in the crowns of the canopy of Citrus Bruce here in Ireland. Oh. Um, I, I mean, even in a country like Ireland, a large number of species still haven't been recorded here that do occur here. Now, they're not necessarily new species, but... Just ones often, we haven't encountered. Just ones we haven't encountered. But regularly here in the school, we would have people describing new species. Of course, your average cryptozoologist is looking for something more spectacular than a mite. The creature that Sean saw was very large and very frightening. I'm not looking for microbes on my journey. Here's a remarkable example of monster hunting and science coming together from the Encyclopedia of Natural History. The colossal squid is believed to be the largest of our squid species and the inspiration for ancient tales of tentacled sea monsters. Yet, the first full carcass of one of these awesome creatures was found just 12 years ago. It is known from only a few specimens, and current estimates put its average size at 39 to 46 feet long, based on analysis of smaller and immature animals, making it the largest known invertebrate ever to have lived. 
The species was first posited by marine biologists after two massive tentacles were found in the stomach of a sperm whale in 1925. In 2003, a 20-foot specimen was caught, but on February the 22nd, 2007, authorities in New Zealand announced the largest colossal squid then known had been captured. The specimen weighed 495 kilograms or 1,091 pounds and was initially estimated to measure 33 foot in total length. Fishermen on the vessel San Aspiring, owned by the Sanford Sea Company, caught the animal in the freezing Antarctic waters of the Ross Sea. The specimen eclipsed the find in 2003 by about 195 kilograms or 430 pounds. The largest colossal squid known to science, however, remains frustratingly elusive. It put in an appearance on some underwater film footage in 2010, again in the Ross Sea. Appearing in the corner of a shot of sperm whales feeding on smaller Humboldt squid, computer calculations which used the confirmed size of an electronically tagged sperm whale that was in the shot at the same time for comparison, have shown that this monster of the depths, should it ever be encountered in the flesh, would come in at a truly colossal 66 feet in total length, far outstripping all previously known measurements. Jules Verne's vision of a ship devouring monster may still be the stuff of fantasy, but the dimensions he proposed seem to have been well within the bounds of reality. The colossal squid was discovered in the frigid waters of the Antarctic, but I had a story of a large, unknown animal that was found right on my doorstep by an educated, articulate, very plausible man. I had to go and talk to Sean Corcoran again. Well, my name is Sean Corcoran. Uh, my wife Miranda and I have visited Omi Island in Connemara uh, many times. It's a beautiful part of the world, just off Cladaduff near Clifton. It's a tidal island. It's a beautiful, really absolutely picturesque uh, part of the world, one of our favourite places to visit. But the first time we ever visited there was 2003, and we were camping, so we brought our uh, tent and all our equipment and bits and pieces. It was just the two of us, and we camped quite close to the centre of the island, uh, right next to the lake, well, within about 20 metres of the lake. So that night, um, we were there a few days at this stage, maybe by the second or third night. In the middle of the night, we heard something strange uh, outside. There was some rustling noises, and um, I woke up and woke my wife and kind of said, there's something outside, and... She said, what is it? And I said, well, I don't know. Let's let's go and investigate. So we were feeling a bit mischievous, maybe. And uh, so I put on a head torch. I didn't turn it on. But we climbed out of the tent and tiptoed down to the lake's edge. Um, and we'd heard kind of rustling noises and splashing and bits and this and that. So we were curious as to what it, what, what it was. And now I personally thought maybe it's a pair of swans or, or a badger or some otters or something like that. But... To our shock and amazement, when we reached, uh, we literally tiptoed down to the edge of the lake. There was a, there's a small drop-off right at the edge of the lake, maybe three, maybe about three feet of drop-off down to the water's edge. So when we got right to the edge uh, with the lake below us, uh, I turned on the head torch, and to our absolute shock and horror, a creature of great scale uh, turned its head and snarled viciously at us the size of a large man, at least at least six foot tall, I would say. Um, 
uh, turned its head, uh, quite a large head, and snarled viciously at us. Now, it was almost face-to-face with us at this stage, so you can imagine we were quite horrified at the scale of the, scale of the creature and the snarl. Uh, within second, within within split seconds, it had turned and dived into the the water below us, and it swam quite silently. Uh, once the splash had, uh, after the splash was quite loud, it swam quite silently across the lake to the other side of the lake in a matter of seconds. A uh, very fast swimmer, and it clambered up onto the other side of the lake and stood um, like a man uh, upright. Um, on a large boulder at the far side of the lake. Now, I was, my head was kind of shaking, as you can imagine, uh, and the head torch is not the best torch in the world, so that distance, we couldn't exactly see all the details of it, but my wife, Miranda, believes that it had orange flippers, orange feet. Now, whether it had arms or um, fins on the side, I'm not 100% sure, possibly did, but it certainly had a long tail, um, and it gave one final large snarl vicious kind of uh, snarl and disappeared into the undergrowth around the rocks and boulders on the far side of the island. The next day uh, my wife and I went to the mainland and into Sweeney's pub and Malachi was serving behind the bar and we, we didn't really know anyone from the area at that stage. There was a couple of gentlemen having a, having a drink and I kind of said what we'd seen and Pascal Whelan who was sitting at the bar at that stage turned to me and my wife and said well, there's strange things over there on that island. And, you know, that was the start of our love affair with Omi Island, but we've never to this day figured out what the creature was. We've gone back. Most years we've returned. I've, I've checked under every boulder and rock and cranny, and I've never, ever witnessed a creature again. I'm going in search of Sean's monster, But first, I need to talk to some experts about how I should go about my search. I met Peter Costello, the author of several classic books on the subject of cryptozoology, in Buswell's Hotel in Dublin, a location about as far away as you can get from the wild and far-flung locations he writs about. In Ireland, you really have to begin by sort of looking back and seeing where the folklore is and where the the legends are, and starting with the legends to see whether there's anything behind those. And the Irish sort of folklore collectors have... uh, uh, sort of always realised that local lakes always had reports in front of them, but folklorists take a very sort of distant view of all of this, whereas it actually needs a different approach to see, well they may see it's a, a sort of an imaginary story, a folk tale but in fact maybe there is something else behind it, and I'd certainly start with somewhere like Connemara or maybe the River Shannon um, because there are reports from both Loch Ree and Loch Derg, and they also go back quite a long way. Some of these reports go back to early Christian times. There was nothing left to do except pack my gear and go looking for monsters, or cryptids, as the scientists call them. I am at ground zero for cryptozoological sightings in Ireland. I'm in Connemara in the west and I am just at Loch Fada. 
Lakfada, as the name suggests, is an extremely long lake which runs kind of parallel to the west coast for several kilometers. Um, it is said to be extremely deep, several hundred feet in places, and it is said to be home to a couple of different lake monsters. I spent five hours traversing the shores of Loch Fada. I experienced a good day's bird watching, but a great crested grebe was as exotic a creature as I saw. I went home and figured I'd try again the next day. I've made my way to another one of the very significant lakes in terms of cryptid sightings in Connemara. I'm at Loch Awna. This time I decided to take a more panoramic view of the body of water. So I'm at a point, a viewing point overlooking the lake now. Um, it's, I think it's about 10 to 10 in the morning, something like that. So um, I'm the only one here at the moment and I'm looking at the lake. Now you, you, this is a much smaller body of water than, than Loch Fada but still it's it's a sizable enough lake. Um, I think I, I can see most of it. There's, there's a bit that kind of goes around the a land point at the top there that I can't quite make out from where I'm standing. Now this is interesting. As Okay, as I'm watching it, the, the, the lake is pretty still. Okay, now I, I'd be lying if I said that I couldn't see ripples and small wavelets and things like that, but it's pretty still. And across the other side, which I make out would be the, the western side of the lake, I think I'm on the eastern side of it, um, I can see a wake of water. Now, I've just had a look through my binoculars and there's... I can't see anything. I wondered if it was a bird of some kind. There's a lot of moorhens and ducks and waterfowl. I don't see anything, but a wake has appeared. It's disappeared again. I can see the ripples of it. And it's appeared again. Now, it's going at a fair speed. Now, you've got to wonder if that's a fish of some kind, but if it is, it's a very large one now. I've heard that there are very, very big trout and some salmon in the lakes here, so it, it could easily be one of those. I'm not suggesting that it's anything cryptozoological. What I'm saying is that I'm seeing a phenomenon that some people have interpreted as being a cryptid. Ronan Coughlin had warned me not to be too credulous. But you can get some interesting things in, in the water. The only thing is you can occasionally get a very big fish that might look like a monster if the shadows were right. And very often when the clouds are overhead and there is gloom, 
small things can look like big things. One thing my visit to the lakes of Connemara got me thinking about was the links between cryptozoology and folklore. Many of the islands in these lakes have monastic dwellings, and we see similarities here between sites like Loch Ness and the Himalayas, where the Yeti is said to tread. UCC folklorist Jenny Butler has studied ancient tales of magical animals and their role in our culture. She offered me a very different perspective on my search. Irish mythology uh, contains many ordinary animals, if you like, you know, cattle, it's a lot to do with cattle raiding, um, horses, pigs, uh, they, they feature prominently. Um, and animals can be, you know, they can have a functional role in mythology or they can have a symbolic role where they represent something. So, for example, uh, an owl might stand for wisdom, um, like in the Greek mythology, or um, in, in the Irish you have a lot of uh, otherworldly connections with animals or uh, human beings transforming into animals like the children of Lear transforming into swans. So in that case you have a, an animal which is familiar but it's also an, an otherworldly animal. Um, so uh, similarly in folklore you have this, um, this motif of uh, either an animal transforming into a human being or vice versa. Uh, for example, you have the Selkie uh, tradition, which are the, the big grey seals, and the idea that um, those seals can come on, on land and shed their pelts and uh, turn into humans and even get married and have descendants. Um, so, you know, animals can um, represent a number of different things in mythology. We're about halfway through the programme and we're nowhere near finding anything remotely like a fantastic beast. Stay with me, though. I promise you there is something worthwhile coming. Cryptids, or unidentified animals, fall into three broad categories in Ireland. The first, alien big cats, or ABCs, large, possibly escaped felines, usually identified as pumas or panthers. I went to Clifton in County Galway to discuss ABCs with one of Ireland's leading cryptozoologists. I'm uh, Gary Cunningham, and I'm from uh, just outside Belfast, originally from County Down, and uh, I've been fascinated by cryptozoology. There was always an animal known as the Irish wildcat. Um, Ireland doesn't have a native wildcat. The, the closest to that would be the, the Scottish wildcat, which did exist in Wales and England uh, up until a couple of hundred years ago. Um, sadly, now it only survives in small populations in, in, in Scotland, in the Highlands. But Ireland, there were always tales and always folklore and, and sightings of, of large cats. Now, not not an animal that would be more akin to escapees, as in pumas or leopards. Quite reasonably big, I mean, probably about twice the size of your average uh, domestic moggy. Um, there is a, a theory that um, that animal that, that feral cats can get quite big, which has happened in Australia. Australia is overrun with feral cats. There are something like 15 million. Um, they were obviously imported in to keep down the, the, the vast plagues of mice. But unfortunately, the, the cats themselves have become a bit of a plague, which is slightly ironic. But it's interesting that, that Brendan Scannell 
a good friend, a good friend here in Clifton. Brendan had a sighting at his house along the beach road, um, which was only actually last year, um, of a large black cat, which was twice the size of his domestic cat, and he watched it just move across his grounds and disappeared. You saw it out of the kitchen window. The second criteria of Irish cryptid are lake monsters of either the plesiosaur variety, a large animal with a long neck seen protruding from the water, the typical Nessie image, or of the horse seal variety, large snake-like creatures with horse-like heads, complete with manes of slimy hair. And these take various different forms because people describe what are clearly slightly different Animals. Here's Peter Costello. That's to say that the, a water horse has classically would obviously be some kind of animal with a long neck. But then you have people also in the folklore tradition and, and, in, and in reports describe a different kind of animal that's low in the water with no long neck. Um, and one, for instance, that's in my book in, in Loch Glynn down in, down in Galway. So the problem about it is that... Um, we have to distinguish. Not all of these animals are, 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 are all the same. But on the other hand, I could certainly believe that eels grow to large size. So, in fact, we do, in a sense, know that there, is, that there exist larger forms of eels. And if, like the ordinary eels, they come back um, as, as through the water systems, one would expect one to be 12 feet long. And that would, in a way, relate to stories of giant eels in lakes, which is a very common team in in Irish folklore. The last classification of cryptid is mystical animals. The puka, the dovarhu, the demon hound, creatures from mythology that have somehow made the leap into the consciousness of modern Irish people. Back in the old days, dovarhu was a common Irish word for an otter. These days they use madhreishka more often. Uh, and in Deneen's Dictionary, 1923 or thereabouts, it says it sometimes is used for a mythical animal in Donegal. But the actual evidence for the Duvahu, which seems to be nothing more than a very large type of otter, seems to be in the West. There's the famous case of the woman whose tomb has a Duvahu carved on it because she is supposed to have been... Uh, uh, attacked and killed by one. It may well be that due to inbreeding uh, in some lakes, a larger type of ordinary otter has uh, emerged. There are, of course, huge otters on the American continent. The giant otter in the uh, the Amazon is a formidable thing to deal with. The uh, idea of such a large otter is also found in Scotland. There's a Loch Nanuachan in Scotland, which indicates a Duvahu has been thought to be paddling around there at some stage in the past. The Duvahu, a vicious, aggressive giant otter, is the monster I am hunting. This is the creature Sean Corcoran encountered that dark night in 2003 on Omi Island. It is an animal with quite a pedigree and is the best known and most sought after of all Irish mythical creatures. They, the animal has been seen in the 60s, it was around about 68, and it was seen by two, two local men who were driving home from work and it actually ran across in front of them. They were in, you know, in a van coming home from work and they described it as being about eight foot long. And the eyewitness sort of accounts, plus it had a small head, long neck, 
uh, it was obviously quadrupedal, four-legged, it had a long tail and it also interestingly moved like a kangaroo. So it's it's quite, you can sort of, you know, deduce from that that maybe the animal, it does, it's even from the descriptions, it's reminiscent of a giant otter. Pascal Whelan is the only year-round resident on Omi, and he's had dealings with the Dovarhu. A friend of mine was camping in the same place you was, okay? Yeah, that was Sean Corcoran. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've interviewed Sean, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he actually saw him. Now, there's a lake just on the mainland here, Glan, and uh, it is almost certain connected to Omi Lake, and there's an underground river. Now, I, I know the river is there because on a real wet day, if you go up on the hill where the old house is, you can actually hear the river underneath it. And I think most of those lakes there are, are connected. Now, a whole family actually saw him and watched him for hours till it went dark. I got the details of him. Tell me about it. Long legs, like a dog. Quite large. A big, large head on him. You, you've uh, heard it, though, have you? I, I have. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I, again, I heard something. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going around the place in nighttime, winter, and it, this, this bit doesn't make sense. Okay. I thought I saw a light of some description down there, so I doubt it would be carrying a torch, you know? But it was something strange that I was walking towards the lake. My dog was missing, just as well, I think. And I got halfway down, I heard the screech, and I said, no, thank you. (laughs) And I turned around and came home again. And that's my only experience of whatever it was. But uh, Sean is a very... uh, There's no bullshit in Sean. You know, the, the, what he saw, he saw. You know, if the description is 100% accurate or not, I don't know. But one thing I've always noticed, uh, when I was a bit fitter, I used to be walking around the place all the time, is there was always a massive kill down by the lake. Massive kill. Like, there's, there's kills all over Ireland with the the, fal- the falcon, the peregrine, and the, the goshawk, and the foxes, and the lot, the lot. But down there, along that lake, and even the, the big uh, blackback seagull, and there was always a massive kill just around that river area. And uh, there's strange droppings there. Like, I recognise most of the droppings of any animal on the, uh, on the island. And, and interesting enough, there's also mussels in the dropping. Uh, so you, you must enter the sea as well. And I'm afraid that's about as much as I can tell you. I walk about the lake on Omi. I'm accompanied by birds, meadow pipit and pied wagtail, who follow me as I step from rock to rock. On the lake, I see black-headed gulls and mute swans. At my back is the constant boom of the sea. It is lonely and it is beautiful but no giant otter puts in an appearance. The rain comes down over Omi. I run for cover and almost trip over the body of a greater black-backed gull, the largest of our domestic seagulls. It had been freshly killed 
A fox could not have taken so large and aggressive a bird. The greater blackback can have a wingspan of up to five feet. Something much bigger must have taken this bird. I spent the next two days on Omi, walking the shoreline, exploring the inlets and bays, sitting by the lake waiting for... something. But nothing happened. Despite my promise to Marnie, I was eventually forced to admit defeat and make the drive home empty-handed. Before throwing in my lot, I asked Professor Tom Bulger what he really thought of cryptozoology. Well, if I can spin it the other way and ask what harm are they doing? Okay, yeah. In the sense that they're setting out with the assumption or with the assumption that these things exist and if they find them, well and good. If they don't find them, that's fine as well. I mean, they're not doing any harm to you or me, I would have thought. So it's a live and let live thing. Live and let live, absolutely. And you know, all of that is really good and very worthy. But I was left right in the position I had promised I would not be in. I was going to have to end my documentary on cryptozoology with another one of those, well, maybe wishy-washy sign-offs. Marnie did not hold back on her gloating. Okay, Marnie, I'm giving you the opportunity now to have your put your say in. I went out, I've recorded all over the country, I've interviewed the experts, and I'm pretty much coming back empty-handed. I told you you wouldn't do it. I just knew you wouldn't. It's not going to work. Okay, thank you very much. I'm glad you got that out of your system. It was actually two weeks later that I discovered that perhaps I had not returned from Omi quite as empty-handed as I had thought. You see, on my first day as I trekked about the perimeter of the island, taking my main recording equipment with me, I left a small zoom box, a simple digital recorder that I'd brought for backup, recording in the car, which is parked by the lake, with the window cranked down. That day, the zoom box recorded six hours of the sounds of nature, the wind, the birds, and the occasional boat. And... At 8.38, as dusk was coming down, it recorded this. I've been watching and hearing wild animals all my life, but this was totally new to me. I needed to find an expert. Ken Whelan, a marine biologist from UCD, agreed to listen to the recording and give me his opinion. 
Hi, how Ken. are you? Ken, yeah, how we're on a calling night to bring you out. My Not at all, Come thank you very much. For, uh, just through the second door there, Shane. So, um, okay, Ken, well, just to explain, I suppose, what, what we're listening to. Um, Wildlife all my life and I've spent a lot of time around coastal regions and I've never heard anything quite like it. Okay. So that's where I'm hoping your expertise will come in. Maybe you might be able to give us a sense of what it might be. So will I play it? Yes, play it, please. I'm very, very keen to hear it. Quite extraordinary. It sounds almost supernatural in terms of the uh, the sound that you hear. I think the first thing to say is that I very, very much doubt if it's an otter. I, I've never heard mm. anything even remotely similar to that from otters. The thing that strikes me is that the lake is in a is in a hollow in the centre of the island. And I think what's causing that otherworldly kind of sound is the fact that it's echoing. Right. It's so loud. It's it's echoing yeah. around yeah, the. Yeah. Um, yeah. After. Um, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss as to what it is. Well, certainly, yeah. I have spent a large number of nights fishing right through the night. And when you fish at night, you don't fish with your eyes. You fish with your ears. So you get very used to listening to sounds, and you pick up a huge range of experience in terms of the sounds you hear. I've never heard anything quite like that before it is really I think the pitch of it is really very strange and as I say very otherworldly in terms of just just how constant it is a creature of that size an otter of that size attacking blackback gulls um, again that's something I would not have come across either in Ireland or indeed abroad uh, but certainly sounds like something from what you're describing and from what the uh, local people are describing it sounds like something very different and something where it warrants uh, at least one or two more visits to try and go down and find out exactly what is happening. But uh, it, it is a sound that stays with you. It's a fascinating idea to go back down and try and find out exactly what is there. It's, it's more likely if it is something novel, something that's living there rather than something that's just there by chance. You know. But it's a real, uh, it certainly is, it certainly is a, a mystery. There's no doubt about it. And the sound is certainly very unusual. So I had found, through sheer luck rather than any particular design, if I'm honest, something. Is it the Davarhu, the master otter of Celtic myth, an ancient lake monster? Or is it a leopard seal, or even a Eurasian lynx that someone has set free to roam the countryside? Or is it something else entirely, a new animal none of us has even thought of? To be honest, I haven't got a notion. I'm just surprised and delighted that I found something, something strange and special in the beautiful ancient place that is Omi Island. (laughs) 